Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Our scripture passage is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 10 through 15. Ecclesiastes is also known as the teacher. Whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or they eat much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. If you have been tracking with us the last few weeks or you're just, uh, just here today for the first time, like we said, uh, we are in the middle of a series called The Myths of Money. And, um, and we're actually going to do this week and next week have some time at the end of the message for Q&A because I know maybe as you've been thinking about this stuff or wrestling through it, a lot of the stuff I'm saying maybe is just generating more questions than anything else, and that's good. So um, on the back of your bulletin is Pastor Tony's mobile number. Please use it responsibly, but uh, you can text questions as they come up to him uh, during the service, and then we'll do a little bit of time at the end to do some Q&A. So um, as you're thinking, uh, please go ahead and, and do that, and, and don't think, oh, I, I shouldn't ask that, um, because chances are, if you're thinking it, probably a few more people are as well, and of course, the answers will be, uh, the questions will be fielded anonymously. He won't call out your number or whatever strange emoticons you put in the text. So that's, um, that's today. Um, Several years ago, um, when I was in school, I, I had to take, for part of my degree program, macroeconomics and microeconomics. And the problem with macroeconomics was it was at 8.30 on Friday morning. And one of the cool economic things that happened when I went to school was I added a day to the weekend. I didn't know there was Thursday was actually part of the weekend, and, and it was. So that made Friday morning really hard to study. And so I tried to learn, but one of the economic principles, again, that I learned in that is the less sleep you get, the more help you need on the final exam. So um, I think I kind of rocked a 70 for the, for the year. Okay, so not, not terrible, but really I, I just couldn't quite get it through. But I have very one simple principle of economics that I have learned that basically the world seems to operate and actually revolve around. And it is the simple economics of more. More. It's kind of, it's sort of an unquestioned economic principle that more is better, right? So then when it comes to money, right, none of us are immune to that kind of thinking that think, well, okay, if I could just get a bit more of my goal, actually, I'm hopefully, I'm hopefully making more the longer I work. Like, I wouldn't mind me making less. And if I'm sort of making the same, well, cost of living is going up, so now I'm still actually less. So really, more is better, and more is what I, I need to get to. And, and I think that's, I'm not alone in that, right? Like every one of us is kind of, and it's, like I said, it's an unquestioned 
actual truth of our principle of economics that we believe as a culture. And what I said to you when we started this series is that you may not realize it, but you are constantly being taught about money by everything around you. All of our advertisements, directly or indirectly, are teaching you about money, that you're richer than you think, or that you might need this certain thing, or if you have this much amount of money, that can get you this, and if you don't have this and you do this with it, you might have more in the end, or if you take this, then you can get a better job, which will get you more. And the truth is this, why we should kind of just have a little bit of a squint to those who are trying to teach us about money, is that every single person in the sense of, of, from an advertising standpoint that is talking to you about money is trying to get it from you. Which means they might be tempted to say things that are sort of true but not totally true or sometimes just totally false because they just want your money. And the reason we should let Jesus in on the conversation is he's the one person that actually doesn't need anything from us. And Andy Stanley, the pastor in Georgia, makes this point that I think is so profound. If God wanted your money, he would just take it. The government does, and they just, they're really good at it. And if they didn't get enough, they'll come back for more. If God just wanted your money, if that's what that was about, a lot of people think that's what church is about, he would just do that. But in fact, God talks to us about money because he wants something for us. He doesn't need anything from us. And therefore, we need to listen. And the truth is that most of the things that we are being taught in, in our culture and the general belief and maybe even your family system or maybe even the church that you grew up at was, you know, more is better. And so if you do this or do that, you can get more. And more sometimes looks like, um, well, I, I want more stuff, so I need more money. And even as I say that, it sounds kind of crass, and we think, well, okay, we kind of know that that just sounds greedy, that's not a good thing, but, oh, but I just need this, or I just need that, or if we could only have that, that would make sense, or I just need, just don't want to see in this area, in the area of my clothing, or my wardrobe, or my house, or trying to get a house, or a better house, or um, whatever thing I think I need for my leisure time, or a little, whether it's a little bit more money, or a little bit more square footage, or a little bit more trunk space, or a little bit better sweater, whatever it is, it's just a little bit more. Or perhaps I feel like, man, things are so tight, like, financially, we're just so strapped, we're so stressed, if we could just have a little bit more. And so the truth that we begin to believe is, all I need is a bit more. All I need is a bit more. And, this is up there in large print for you, we're kind of saying that that's a myth. That's not true. Now, don't just take it from me. I want you to just stand to your feet for a second. We just have a little dance moment, okay? So just, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Just, no, just, just trust me, okay? So I wasn't the first to come up with this idea. There was a modern-day prophet who wrote these words, and as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about it, I thought we should just have a dance moment together. So Malcolm's going to cue it up. If you know it, if you don't know it, just dance where you live, okay? Just, just go for that. Were you ready for that? You know it, sing along. Tell your age. All right, okay, okay, okay. Anybody know the name of that song? More money, more problems, right? Okay, you can have a seat. See, I didn't say it first. And in fact, Notorious B.I.G. and Puff Daddy or P. Diddy, whatever his name was at the time, they didn't say it first either. That passage that, Mal or that um, Neil read for you is from a book of Ecclesiastes. It was written a few thousand years ago. And it was written by someone called The Teacher. And if you read the opening, it's a very interesting book. It's kind of stuff in there you think, this is in the Bible, really? 
There's stuff in there as he sets up the story at the beginning. It's written from a perspective of someone who has lived a fairly fulfilling life. We think it's probably Solomon, son of David, because he was incredibly wise and incredibly wealthy. So it was written from the perspective of someone who had a lot of stuff and had made a lot of money. And I know we're always skeptical about people who have lots of money saying, you know what, life isn't about money, right? We're always like, oh yeah, okay, sure. You know, but he's actually one of those people, and he writes in, very, in great detail all the way through the book but some of the meaninglessness associated with more. And he calls this into question, and he says two very profound things that we actually need, that are actually truth, that can begin to show, hey, you know what, this, this thing about more isn't totally true, because you, here's the challenge, here's why you should stay with me for the rest of this message. The belief that all I need is a little bit more actually creates a lot of problems in our lives. It creates a sense of stress, actually, in our lives, because it's that striving for that little bit more. It, it creates challenges and complexities and sometimes even conflict in the relationships that we have in our workplace, maybe because we're frustrated that other people are getting a bit more than we're getting, or the, the people who own the company are making a little bit more than what we're getting. Maybe it creates conflict in our homes because the spending habits of somebody else in our home or the needs that are going on in our home saying, well, I need a bit more, we need more for this, and so there can be stress in our lives because of that. And what we're hoping to feel is, ah, right? Like, that's what we think. Is that if I could get a bit more, I would feel, ah, right? Everybody just do that for a second. Ah. Isn't that what we want when it comes to our financial life? However you want to describe it, whatever the picture looks like, wherever you happen to be today, that's where we all want to be, right? Ah. And so if I could just get a bit more, I would feel this. And, and that is a good thing. We actually want that. But all I need is a bit more is a lie. It's a myth. I know myth sounds softer because that'll get you into church because it said the lies of money. It's like, oh yeah, okay, of course, that's a church. So we call it the myths of money. It's soft, but it's really, it's a lie. <laughs> we need and we should have, oh, we're meant to have. Oh. But the myth that all I need is a bit more is a myth. And the teacher busted out for us. He says two really profound things. First of all, he says this, Where does he say it? Whoever loves money never has enough. So more, a bit more, is two lies in that sentence. All I need is a bit more. One of them is a bit more. Because he says whoever has or loves money never has enough. Now, when we read that, we say, well, I don't love money. That's like Scrooge McDuck, like, you know, that's greedy people love money. I don't love money. But, but what does it mean to love money? It, it means you trust it. You believe it will give you what you need. You believe it will bring you, ah, you desire it. You make sacrifices to get it. We all do. It's, it's what loving money is saying. When you make money your aim or your goal, you think, all I need is a bit more. He said, it's a lie. Whoever loves money never has enough. And you know this, actually, right, in your life? Because chances are, for most of us, you have more money now than you did five years ago or ten years ago. And ten years ago, you thought, all I needed was a bit more. And if somebody had said to you 10 years ago, here's how much more you're going to have, you would have said, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'll be like, ah. Oh. And yet you're here, and you're like, yeah, but I still need a bit more. Because when you make a bit more, you spend a bit more. 
Remember when we went through several years ago that, that Lost series, and he was talking about how the problem with more is as we grow in our income, we, our standard of living just creeps up like this. And so the margin, percent margin, is always the same. Or the, it's thin, and so we're always feeling our standard of living bumping up against what we make, and that is what creates the stress in our lives. That's what makes ah so hard to get. And if we stop and think about it for a moment, it's like, wait, how did 10 years ago I thought, okay, this is enough, and, and, but actually I need a little bit more just to get to here. And this went to here. I think it should be way better. Yeah, but your standard of living went with it. And now this is still happening in your life. How did that happen? Standard of living creep. Because when you make a bit more, you spend a bit more. You make a bit more, you can afford a bit more square footage. You make a bit more, you get a bit more trunk space. And you make a bit more, you get a bit of a nicer wardrobe. You make a bit more, you can have a bit more of a vacation or a life of leisure. A little bit more. And so everything just creeps with it. One of the reasons that happens is because we benchmark our standard of living off the people that we do life with. So you kind of work in a company, and, or whoever you work for, wherever you are, and you kind of compare yourself subtly to the people that you work with. Now, you don't do this consciously, but someone comes in and says, oh, let me show you pictures from this great place that I just went on vacation. And you, after watching those things, going, oh, man, I'd love to do that. Well, if they do that, I mean, they're kind of the same level as me. Probably, I don't know how much they make, but probably around the same time. So, like, I should be, that's, that's, like not, that's not a crazy expense. Like, that doesn't look like a, a greedy, extravagant expenditure because they're people I know. It's a good guy, a good girl. Like, we, we're kind of work together. So, so that's actually legit for me. So now I'm, I'm benchmarking my leisure life off of the people that I work with, or I'm benchmarking the car I drive maybe by the rest of the cars that are in the driveways in the neighborhoods I live because we all kind of have the same type of house, so we're probably all around the same standard. So that doesn't look crazy because if you live in that kind of house you drive, or you live in that kind of house, well, that's the kind of couch you put in that house. That's just how it works. So I go to someone's house, and I think, wow, that's really nice. We, maybe we could do that to our place. We could do that to, and that just kind of happens because I'm benchmarking now not off my past, not off what I said I needed 10 years ago, but the people I run with now. And so the people I work with, the people I live next to, and maybe even the people that I go to church with, I just sort of go, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Like that's, oh, okay, well, they're, they're kind of, uh, you know, I think they're a generous person. They're a Christian. Like they're trying to give to God too. They do this or so that. That sort of works for me. And so I think, okay, th those are all now legitimate purchases for me, whether I make them or not. But now this is my expected standard of living. I may not have all of it, but I think, well, that's not n abnormal. That's normal. So I'm going to try to get there. And so in order to get there, I need a bit more. And the standard of living just creeps. I think, how did it happen that all of a sudden when I thought I needed a bit more, I got way more than a bit more, and I'm still feeling like all I need is a bit more. And it's still a little bit more stress, a little bit more sense of discontentment. Part of the other reason that those who love money never have enough of it is because the shine wears off. The things that we thought were so exciting that we would love to have, now we just think, oh yeah, that's just normal. That's just a part of my life. That's not amazing. That's just kind of life. At the time, it was like, I really need this. Wow, wouldn't it be great if we got this? Wouldn't it be great if we could rent our house? Wouldn't it be great if we could get a house? Wouldn't it be great if we could? And then it's like, yeah, okay, now, now that, that's where I'm at. Now that's my stand. So now what's next? Just need a little bit 
more. Standard of living creep kind of happens with us. And our expectations of what's normal, of what should be, just grow with it. Now, I'm not saying that you're lying. I'm just saying we're being lied to. All I need is a bit more, a bit more. There's no such thing. But the second part, he says, the second truth is all I need. All I need. He says this, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. In other words, more money, more problems. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. The more you have, the more complicated life is. You've seen this too. I think, man, I would love to have like a, a nice, thin TV, one that doesn't have this big back to it. So, I, so I'm going to get, okay, so I'm going to price it out. Okay, what kind? I'm going to do all my research, whatever. Okay, I got a big screen TV, and it's, it's not crazy, but it's like this size, and it's bigger than the one I've got, and it seems to be pretty much what everyone's buying and certainly what they're selling, and now that's not the top of the line, so it's just kind of normal. Okay, so I'm going to buy that. Okay, but now I need new cables. Like I need, I need like actually better cabling. Like they don't advertise the cables when you walk into like wherever. It's not like a wall full of cables. It's a wall full of beautiful TVs. But then like behind it, there's like the $100 cable you got to buy because I got to buy that. And of course I need a wall mount because I don't want it on the floor because the kids, eh, I just got to put it up. But now I got to put somewhere down. And we're like, ah, we can't sit on this couch and watch that TV. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I'm stretching it. But this. <laughs> and then that just kind of keeps going. Oh, I, I, need a, I need a new sweater. I got this thing, or I needed to dress, or whatever. I got to go, so I buy that. And it's like, well, I can't wear these shoes with this dress. Like, this now is, this is killer. That's not. So I need that. I mean, I've never heard this logic before. I just know people think like this. <coughs> We're just like, okay, now I got I to gotta move with that. And I'm making fun, but you know what I'm saying, right? If I want a pool, I got to redo the concrete around the pool. Then I'm, I got to chlorinate it. I got to heat it. And I probably need some kind of shed to put the stuff around that the chemicals going into it. And then we got to have stuff to play with it because the kids are kind of bored with just the pool. <laughs> the more, whatever you think you need, you just need more around it. As stuff grows, so does the stuff around it. And we are consumed, in a sense, our lives with taking care of it. Think about how much of your spare time goes into tending to the stuff that you have. You have an old car, you're not going to clean it as much. Now, maybe you should, but I'm just saying, you're not going to worry too much about polishing it and too much about this, and you got to get special tires because this is a special car. And then it's all-wheel drive, so the parts are more. So, like, everything's done. Now, oh, now i got to dent. i got to fix that. i got to change that. i got to make sure I maintain it more. Everything just goes with it. This is just the nature. It's not a bad thing. It's just the nature of stuff. It sucks us in. It takes more time, more energy, more money than you first thought. So all I need is also a lie. Because what I need comes with a headache that I don't need. And yet it just comes. And I can't change it. You get that? It's funny to me how if you go to a, a, like a, a, an affordable hotel, 100 bucks a night, you get free parking, free internet, and free breakfast. If you go to a hotel that's $400 a night, you pay $50 for parking, $15 for internet, and your breakfast is $30. Now, the asphalt is the same. 
And the internet is the same. And even the, you know, just add water eggs are probably the same. It's not like the beds, like, okay, you can say the bed's better. It's worth the $400 room with the $100 room. Yes, but everything else is the same. Do you know what it's called? Luxury tax. And you pay it every time you get more. Isn't that crazy? That if you pay more, you actually have to pay more for the same or less. That little example is actually a principle of how, how all I need is actually a lie. Because I end up having to pay for stuff I didn't want, didn't need, or didn't anticipate I would have to pay for. So this is a lie. And the scriptures bust it open for us. And so true contentment is not needing more than this, but having more than enough. Right? Well, I say, I need more than this. I need more than that. I need more than them. I need more than I used to have. And true contentment ah, comes when I realize that I have more than enough. Because I have to admit that back then, when I had a lot less, all I thought I needed was a bit more. But now what I realize I've had a lot more, I still think I need a bit more. So you know what? At some point, I have to say enough. Enough. It's a lie. I don't actually need more. I have more than enough. I have more than most of the people in the world. And in fact, when I had less, I would have called those simpler times. Actually, I had a bit more. And now the more stuff I have, the more complicated life is, and the less often I'm going, Ah, at the end of the night. That I have more than enough. Listen, this is, this is not only true, but this is love. The financial limitations that God has placed in your life are a gift. Right? If you don't think you have enough, and maybe you don't. Maybe you're sitting here going, Vijay, you don't know my situation, and that's totally true. But who do you have to take it up with? if that's true. It's him. He is the one that knows what you need. He is the one that can open the floodgates and suddenly the taps can turn on. Suddenly a new job offer can come. Suddenly someone in your family you didn't even know dies and left you money. Suddenly things can happen. He is the one that holds, in a sense, the world in his hand. And he has said, I care for you. I care for every one of you. I actually even know how many hairs are on your head. You don't think I'm watching your life. You don't think I'm aware of what you need. That if you don't feel like you have enough, then you need to turn to him and say, God, you are the one that sustains my life. And the truth is, I don't actually know what I need. I don't actually know what's good for me. And I've had enough wisdom in this life to know some of the things I think I need aren't so shiny anymore. And they come with a headache I don't need. So you know what I need. And I will trust you that if you have hemmed me in and I just cannot seem to get more money than this, I just cannot seem to get a job that pays me more than this, I just cannot seem to be recognized by the people who would give me a promotion, I just cannot seem to make all of this work, I'm just gonna, I gotta trust you. These are limitations on my life and maybe they're the limitations that in the first time in your life you will actually go to God more desperate than you've ever been before. And saying, if you don't come through, I can't do this. 
Maybe, as one person said years ago, that the circumstances of our lives are intended to draw us into a conversation with God that we really need more than anything else. And so the limitations, you know, and say, okay, I have enough. And you know what? Let's just say it together. Say enough. Enough. Say it louder. Enough. Say it louder like your kids are fighting for the millionth time. Enough. Right? The clamor of the voices in my head and from my television and from my peers or the circles that say I need more. Finally, we have to say enough. I have enough. Enough. But here's the second part of contentment. You see, true contentment will not come from just saying, okay, I should be grateful for what I have and I have enough. You know why? Because you and I have a hole in our hearts that desires to be filled. We are perpetually hungry people. The reason that we acquire so much stuff, the reason we want more, is because there is a desire and a longing in us for more. And that's not wrong. That's right. That's how God made us. The problem is the hole is far too wide for me to put a car or a sweater or a whatever into it. It never fills it. Because we have a hunger for God. We have a hunger to be deeply filled, deeply satisfied, that doesn't wear off or break down or become obsolete or rendered uninteresting by the next version. <laughs> Only God is big enough to cancel the hunger for upgrades and newer, better, faster only God never diminishes, never fades. It's like the sun is beautiful every day it rises. It's just as hot today as it was thousands and thousands of years ago. It's just as effective and life-giving today as it has been from the beginning of time. It is, in a sense, a sliver of a picture of what God is to us. He is more than enough for you and me. Dramatic moment, the lights go down. <laughs> right? He is more than enough. Not only am I saying, you know what, I have enough stuff, but God, you are more than enough for me, that there is a longing in my heart. And I don't, it doesn't matter if you're here and saying, well, I'm not really into this God stuff. I'm not sure. Yeah, but you have the same hole in your heart that I do. Someone said years ago, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts cannot find rest until they find their rest in you. Oh comes from being in the center of God's will for you, that God has a purpose for your life and a plan for your life and a plan for your marriage if you have one and a plan for your job if you have one and a plan that is more than you could ask or imagine. You know, I think some of the challenges that the modern day culture has in marriage and the reason we give up on marriage and move on to another one or whatever, or the reason we buy tons of stuff is because we are so unfulfilled in that relationship that sometimes, okay, we're not gonna leave our spouse, but we're just gonna try to keep, prop up the marriage, the next vacation, the next bit of stuff, and the next renovation, and the next house. And the truth is what your marriage needs if you're married is a deep sense of purpose where two people side by side are looking out of the world that God said, I brought you together to change this life. I know that that's true in our lives, that the greatest sense of intimacy that Jen and I have and that has grown over time is that as we have begun to understand more and more of God's purposes and plans for our life, as we have begun to love him more, the love between us grows. Your sense and desire for other stuff just begins to quiet down. Because you saying enough to the clamor of voices is not enough until you can turn to God and say, you are more than enough for me. 
And John Piper, a pastor in, uh, in Minnesota, put it this way. He said, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, which is, you know, the presence of God in your life, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. Just look at that for a moment. Friends, how much more do you and I, you and I who say God is everything to us, that we sing in these songs, how much more do we actually need to experience that, that your plans for me are the things that actually begin to satisfy my soul, that your purpose for my money, the reason you've put it in my hands, put it in my bank account, put me in this place of work, put me in this family, put me in this neighborhood, put me in this situation in life, maybe that I wish somewhat I can change. These are actually part of your plans for me. And the more that I begin to ask for more of you, the more I begin to seek you, the more I begin to worship you, the more I begin to read your word and listen to your voice, the more I begin to pray, the more I begin to meet with other people who know you and are longing for you, the more I begin to minister to and serve and love the people that you've put around me, the more more my soul will be filled and the desire for less of things just goes away. Because here's the other thing, as soon as I say it, you'll know this to be true. The way you grow an appetite is by feeding it. The way you shrink one is by starving it. Think about that for a moment. The way you grow an appetite is by feeding it, which is why more will never be enough. You ever had that experience where you've eaten like a huge meal and it's so good and, and like you say you're done but then you just have like a few more bites and then you're like, okay, like seriously, I cannot eat anymore and that was so good. And in that moment, you feel like, ah. Oh, and in fact, the idea of more food is like almost repulsive to you. But then the next day, like if you're me, you bounce back fast. But other, so if maybe, maybe two days later, you're hungry again. And the truth is actually physically, you're more hungry. Your stomach is bigger. Because the more you feed an appetite, the more it grows, which is why more will never be enough. Because every time we put stuff in it, we long for more. In a sense, our capacity for stuff stretches and we need more. I didn't learn this in economics. It's called the law of diminishing returns. <laughs> that the more you get, the more it takes to get. The more, you, the more you need to feel ah and you put stuff in it to get ah, the more you'll need to feel ah. The way you starve or shrink an appetite is by starving it, which means this. In your quest for contentment and my quest for contentment, what needs to happen is we begin to cut off the appetite for more stuff at the knees and just begin to starve it out of pure draconian measures going, no more. I don't know what it is, whatever the next thing is I was thinking of, I'm just gonna actually stop and say no. Or I'm gonna put that on hold for a year. We were thinking about that, we're not gonna think about it for you. Just gonna starve it for a moment. And then what I'm going to do is try to feed on God more. What does that actually mean? Jesus called himself the bread of life. He got it, he understood it. We think it's kind of a strange term. It's like, no, you actually need more of me in your life. Because the more you begin to take it in me, the more your appetite grows, the more your capacity for me grows, the more you begin to grasp my purposes and plans for your life, the more your own family unit becomes obsessed with and driven by where is God at work around us? Why has he sent us into this neighborhood? Why has he sent us into this? Why has he sent my kids into this school? Why has he sent me into this workplace? Why did he bring the two of us together? It wasn't because of love. It is, but a better love than you and I ever thought 
when we said, I do. The more we grasp that, the more the fullness of life begins to shape and we actually find, I want more of that stuff. And in in fact, we find, God, I just need more and more because I'm gonna expand that appetite. And the less and less I'm spending time thinking about what I'm gonna buy or how I'm gonna think or just stressing about the fact that we're so tight, which you may be, you know, you know, okay, VJ, I'm not thinking about a new house. I'm not thinking, I'm just trying to manage what we got. Fine. But that stress of saying, God, all I need is a bit more. It's actually a lie. What you need is more of him. And you need him to help you sort out that. You need him to give you the wisdom to know what to do with that the next time you're thinking of buying that. That the more that happens, the more this appetite, this voice, and that kind of stomach begins to shrink and go away. And the more my capacity for who God is and what his plans for my life are and how he's shaping me and sending me and how he's bringing people into my life to encourage me and how he's bringing me into the lives of other people to do that, the more your appetite for the stuff of God grows. Then you will have more and more days when you put your head down on the pillow at night and say, that was a good day. What more do you have for me tomorrow? And so just a couple of things to give you, just some practical steps to experience the power of more than enough. And this is good advice that, you know, I've heard over the years, but just a couple of things. Either pick a percentage that you're going to live on. You may say, that's strange because, well, maybe you've never done that before, but maybe you're living on 110% and you go, okay, I didn't go to economics class, but I know that doesn't work. (laughs) So what's the percentage I'm going to live on? It's actually going to be less than what comes in. I'm actually going to try to live on less than I make. Rather than saying, I need to move that what I make number up, no, I'm going to move what I spend number down. I'm going to pick a percentage. And you say, VG, what are we going to do with the rest? Just come next week. We will talk about that. (laughs) But for now, I'm going to actually consciously, intentionally choose the percentage that I will live on. Or for some of you may say, you know what? Actually, at the stage in life where I could probably just lock our standard of living. We don't need a bigger house. Could you use a bigger house? Sure, you could always, but you know it's going to come with more stuff. You're going to have to fill it. Bigger roof to care for. More rooms. Maybe just say, okay, you know what? I'm done. We don't need to actually have more than this. I'm going to lock my standard of living. And so if this grows, well, what happens if that grows? Well, that's just fun. That's like, God, why have you, why have you given us more? Because we know we don't need it because we've locked it off right here. Can we just kind of lock down and say, we don't actually need to upgrade anything Unless it's breaking, we'll replace it because that's what we used to do, but now we just upgrade. The thing that works, we just need something that works better. No, that will actually, and what have, look at, look at what's going to happen in, in the sense of peace in your life if this starts to move. Oh, look how much, ah, is in that gap. Oh, ah. And if it goes back down, that's okay because this stayed. And that's okay, this can go like this. And if it goes, maybe even drop it, go, well, you know what? I actually did this before, so maybe we could do that again. So maybe some of you just need to say, we're going to pick the percentage or we're going to lock it right here. We're good. We don't need to actually move that up anymore. But that's just one part of the more than enough equation. The other one is this. You need to make a specific investment of time in God's stuff. And I just have a couple of recommendations for you. One is a book by Jim Simbola called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And just reading that book alone, and I've done it a couple of times, just felt like it was breathing oh, into my soul. 
and gave me a hunger for something that I had forgotten I really liked the taste of. And so maybe for some of you, you're just going to pick that up. You can grab audiobooks if you want to do that. Maybe you just need to meet with another person and say, you know what, I'm convicted about this stuff. Can we pray together about having more of God in our lives? And I'm telling you, just meeting together with another person to pray to that will actually already do that. It'll begin to open up a hunger and a thirst for something that you haven't hungered for in a long time. Or maybe you need to begin to serve. Getting involved in some place in this church or somebody in this church who has a need or somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in the sphere of influence around you to say, you know what, I'm actually gonna try to spend more time thinking about them and what they need and trust that that will give me a hunger for more of the life of God. You can't just do the first one. The second one has got to actually be a greater appetite to begin to dull your desire for more. Before I close, I just wanted to open it up for a couple of questions. We got? Okay. Okay, how can I glorify God with my money? Well, that's a great question. Um, so it's kind of what we've been trying to unpack over the last couple of weeks, and next week we're going we're gonna to close that. Um, the, the question of how can I glorify God with my money? So just to explain that, the idea that that is based on is the fact that you and I are created, in a sense, to be a reflection of God to the world around us and actually to worship God by what we do. It's the scriptures say that actually all of creation worships God because of how beautiful it is. And so part of what we need to think about when it comes to glorifying our God with our money is not just about, okay, God, what do I do with this money? But what are you calling this life to do? If this life is supposed to be a reflection of you, the scriptures say that you and I were created in the image of God. It's this picture that in, in, in ancient times when kings would go and occupy a territory, they would often build a statue of themselves in that country or in that place that was reminding everybody who lived there who ruled that world. And when the scriptures say that you and I have actually been, uh, the, the word is acons, or where we get icons from, it's this picture that we are, in a sense, meant to be representatives of God wherever we are. And so part of what you need to begin to ask is, God, how have you called me to be your representative in this world, in this place? You begin to ask that question. That will begin to change how you think about your money. If, if part of, if you've been blessed with a lot of money, part of what you have to ask yourself is, God, why did you give me so much? What aspect of your life do you want me to reflect to the people around me by the way I use this money? That, that's a big picture. That's a, that's a question that will begin to open up more. Next week, we're going to talk about generosity and giving and how giving is a key piece of the way that we reflect God to people around us because God is the self-emptying, self-giving God. He's a generous God. And so one of the ways we show the character of the generosity of God to other people is by being generous ourselves. So that's one piece. But like I said to you, giving isn't just about this thing that we do to get God off our back so we can keep the rest. But saying, God, I actually want you in the conversation. So one of the ways you can be in is saying, God, what do you want us to do with this? Or if you're thinking about a purchase, saying, God, do you want us to make this purchase? Do you want me to make this purchase? And maybe you're going to wait. The bigger the purchase, the longer the time you should wait before you buy it. The bigger the purchase, the more you should pray about it. The more you should pray, God, give it to me for free. Don't laugh. You can do that. I, and if he does, then spend the money you were going to on something else. You know, I was thinking about this. We talk about giving sometimes, like, you think, okay, well, $30 a month. You think like, oh, I don't, that's tighter, $100 a month. I don't have that much more. But then we can quickly con convince ourselves that we have $250 a month more to cover that monthly payment of a new car. 
and, and actually we would think, well, I'd never go into debt to give, but I'd go into debt to get a new car. We, unquestioningly, I'd do that, but I'd never do that. I'm not saying you should go into debt to give. I'm just saying we, we, we evaluate the sense of what God might want to do with our money and what we want to do with our money very differently. And so when we begin to say, okay, God, all of this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? But really that becomes like, God, what purpose do you have for my life? There's a friend of ours, um, I'll invite the worship team up to lead us as we close. There's a friend of ours, our families we got to know over the years, and um, he and his wife were really successful uh, business people. He would own properties, develop them, and flip them, make tons of money at it. And he was doing that, and on the side, he started to, him and his wife started to travel to, to different parts of the world. And they went and visited places and people who were being killed because of their faith in God people who are being tortured and said, you know, you've got to give up your life uh, and, re- re- you know, reject Jesus if you want to live your life. And they, some of them were dying or they were in prison camps or whatever. And the more they started to travel, the more that they just started to get gripped by this. So he just started to work less and less. And he would go home just for long enough to make enough money to flip it so that he could go back out and live what he's do, do what he was doing. And just one thing began to lead to another. And he got to the point where he started consulting for countries around the world. And they would call him up and say, hey, we need you to help us figure out how to rebuild this aspect of our economy. And he would say, great, I'll do that, but you have 10 people in prison right now who are in prison because of their faith in Jesus, so you need to let them go, and then I'll come and consult for your company. So right now, he trades his services for prisoners, religious prisoners (laughs) around the world. And he's so sought after that they just say, okay, fine, we'll do that. Just come and help us. Now, you look at that and think, oh, I could never do that. But it didn't start there. It started with going, is there something more than this? And maybe God has a purpose for my life that I can't see it. And what I would so long for you to begin to believe is that maybe God has plans and purposes for me that are far greater, more fulfilling, and bigger than I could have ever imagined. So what is the first step that I can begin to take to say, God, what do you want to do with my life? And you have no idea where that will lead you but you will find that it is a greater source of ah, than we could ever get for ourselves by stuffing that in. So let me pray for you, and then we'll sing together. God, we just long to know your purposes and your plans for us. And I know that, you know, because I've sat through many sermons like this where I've been thinking, okay, God, I don't know what they are. I don't, what do you want to do with my life? Sometimes I would just sit there feeling so turned upside down in my spirit, saying, I, I believe that, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to get to. And all I know is, God, you have been so faithful to lead me. And every time I've said to you, okay, God, I don't know how to do that, but I want that, that you have helped me put one foot in front of the other. And I'm here with with everyone in this room saying, God, I just want more. I want more of you. What I have is enough, but you are more than enough. And so, God, please don't let us doubt you. Help us to take a step of faith. Help us to listen to your voice saying, Call that person, try this, meet up with that person for prayer, read this book, begin to have this conversation, begin to talk to your spouse and say, what if we tried this? God, give us the courage to take one small step of faith because we know this isn't our plans for our lives. This is your plan. And so we just need you to lead us. And would you do that? Whatever you're stirring in us, don't let it escape as we walk out the door. Let it be a conversation that begins with you that would change our lives. In your name we pray, amen. And before you have a seat, I just want to give you the benediction for this morning. This is just a blessing, a word of blessing, wherever you are in this journey. In the old fairy tales, there was always a moment where the spell was broken and suddenly everybody could see things as they really were.
And I believe, and I know in my experience, is every time I come to God, you know, it's like he's breaking spells over and over in my life. And so I just want to bless you that this morning would have e- even been a, a spell-breaking moment <laughs> where you could see things as they really are and say, maybe there is more to what God has for me than I ever thought before. Would you receive that blessing? Amen.